Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Go for it, B. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever the heck in the world you are. It's V, the Grill Economist, coming to you live, and we have none other than the man himself, the one and only London Paul. Check out London Paul's website, theseriousreport.com. That's S-I-R-I-U-S, theseriousreport.com, where all the information is given to you. Get on their membership list, folks. It is highly, highly valuable for, for less than the price of a Starbucks latte Schmate, Frappuccino, Cappuccino, Dunkachino, Mochaccino. For less than the price of that, you can get the membership that you need to give you the entire geopolitical landscape, the play-by-play of what's going on, and helps you make sense of this crazy world. Now, be forewarned. You might read things you might not agree with, but read it anyway. Store it as information because a smart intelligentsia will always read every bit of data and store it and see what plays out. In that case, thisseriesreport.com is the place for you to get it done. Get the intelligence, get the reports, get the vision you need, and the clarity that you deserve. Seriousreport.com. With that out of the way, London Paul, how are you, sir? I'm very well, V, and good morning to you, and obviously, and CJ, and good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone else, wherever they're listening, and I hope... All our American friends had a great July the 4th and whatever they were doing. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think for me, it, it's worth starting at this point that I think sometimes, you know, in throughout in recent years that I've had occasions where people haven't liked things I've said for whatever reason. But the bottom line is I only say what I, what I understand or know to be the case. I'm not. I don't have any axe to grind. I don't back any political party or any nation or anything else. And in recent years, there's a lot of times when I've said things and people have gone, that's impossible. I mean, I said in January 2016, Trump would become U.S. president, provided they didn't, you know, kill him. That happened. I said the Brexit vote would be an affirmative. That happened. I talked about rotation of key vassal nation, the rebirth of Persia, that the Belt and Road Initiative would be this huge project that would be highly successful and and the list goes on and on and people argued with me they didn't like it they didn't like what i said they they i mean i don't mind people can use whatever language they like talked about the petro yuan being adopted i mean even bitcoin i said at christmas you know bitcoin price will slide because of bitcoin futures and yeah i'm and of course you can trade it if you know what you're doing and you've got the the crypto school and other people and if you know how to trade then you can make money out of it. But people just holding it, we're going to end up sitting on huge losses. I got a lot of flack for that. People saying, why aren't you, you know, backing you know them? Paul, it, it, it doesn't matter that you've been on the money so many times for so long. You know what the problem is? You just, you're just not a fan of QAnon, Paul. That's the problem. Well, if it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it's, it's, I think it's even less than that. I think, the reality is that, you know, 
it's like recent developments we've seen and we can we can start to talk about this is that at the end the end goal is that the cabal's dead and buried and finished and the, the nations of the world are going to be reborn particularly in the west the u.s is no exception i just think that the the problems the u.s is going to experience having the world's reserve currency is going to make the problems that more acute and my concern is that there's an over expectation that all the problems to do with the FBI, the DOJ, the Senate, the Congress is all somehow going to be resolved in the blink of an eye. And, it, and my my fear is there's, that people will get more and more frustrated in the process. And we've seen yeah. some recent developments. And I think you know, we can talk about the Imran Awan situation. Yeah, let, let's talk there. about Imran Awan because the uh, the arrests are coming. So, uh, uh, you know, so uh, they're all going down and this is all part of the plan. But uh, Imran Awan, uh, 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 it a slam dunk case for someone who could be, let's say, a, a mediocre prosecutor. This would be a slam dunk case, open and shut. Paul, you and I could take on the Imran Awan case. We could know nothing about law. We could have been, uh, we we could have been taking quaaludes and won a case against Imran Awan. That is how terrible it is because the DOJ, the, the Department of Injustice, <laughs> um, or you could translate it as the Department of Just Us, okay, the cabal, they agree not to prosecute Imran Awan for high, house cybersecurity and theft questions. Nothing. So, Paul, won't you detail that for us? And how? Yeah, I mean, well, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, <laughs> for anyone who's not aware. Imran Awan was obviously he was an an ITA to the Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Now he's pleaded guilty to federal bank fraud in a plea deal with government prosecutors. Now there's something I made various on various occasions said there'll be people making plea deals. There'll be all sorts of horse trading going on. This is how it's going to pan out. It's not a question of every person who gets arrested. It's a, you know slam dunk. These things are going to happen and. Obviously, this is a charge unrelated to all the allegations levied against him since he was obviously arrested at Dulles Airport, I think almost a year ago, as near as makes no difference. Now, obviously, during the hearing, the U.S. District Judge, I can't remember her name, she accepted his guilty plea to making false statements on a loan application. And then part of the deal, obviously, the prosecution is dropped charges against his wife, who was obviously another congressional IT aide. Now... The deal also gave him immunity from being charged over any previously water term non-violent crimes. And, of course, immediately everybody's, you know, the, is foaming at the mouth about it and are very concerned about it. And I completely understand because on face value, why is someone being allowed to make a plea hearing? And I'm not in any way suggesting that I'm supportive of this. But this is the, this is the, the reality of how things are going to unfold. It's going to be very frustrating it's going to, you then have to start to question more and more what is going on in the DOJ. What exactly is Sessions doing in this regard? And the list goes on and on. And yet people are just going to, I fear, get, will get more and more frustrated because they're expecting things like this to be, well, this is how it's all going to pan out. It's not. It never was and it never will be. And all I'm trying to do is, is manage people's expectations that you can expect, you know, more and more of this to, uh, to happen because if we follow it through all the allegations regarding a one and his wife and there was two brothers as well they're all linked to some criminal investigation that was conducted by by the U in the u.s now 
obviously they were stopped at Dulles Airport, um, and uh, or one of the people with respect to this was I can't remember his name, but then Awan went to fly himself about a year ago and he's arrested and he was obviously arraigned the next day and pleaded not guilty to bank fraud now what's interesting is most lawmakers had already sort of effectively in their mind fired Awan by june 2017 because and from their perspective it became clear he was under investigation but obviously we know that vassaman schultz kept him on a payroll until he was arrested and obviously, she was previously served as chair of the DNC. And they're saying, obviously, claims that the servers were hacked, as we know, by Russia, even though the FBI was cordoned off from conducting a forensic analysis of the hardware. I mean, I mean, this is ridiculous. How can you make these allegations and then go, actually, well, you're not allowed to investigate this? And obviously, it remains possible data was compromised in a leak. And obviously, we know the contents were, were published by WikiLeaks um, in the process. So, I mean, we could go on and on and on about it because there was, you know, these this um, has gone on for months and months. And I think even back in September, and this was of last year, the House Office of the Inspector General, the OIG, gave a PowerPoint presentation to House leaders accusing Awan and others of logging onto the servers of House members um, who'd obviously previously fired him. And in addition to the Democratic office servers, I think the servers of 15 members of Congress were allegedly logged into. And, you know, I think they were logged on to the, this, what we call Democratic Caucus Office Service, over five and a half thousand times at an average of 27 times per day. Now, I don't, I mean, whoever's responsible, and we always have to use allegations because I'm not, I'm not going to accuse anyone of anything until, you know, due process is done, but... To not understand who was logging on, I find it incredible. I just, it, it, not to have some idea of who was responsible. And it says, obviously, you know, that there was concerns the servers were obviously being used for nefarious purposes. And um, also, I think Awan and others were accused of installing Dropbox on two of these caucus services. And, and obviously, two user accounts had thousands of files in the Dropbox folder on each computer. And the OIG report noted that they were not permitted to view the files. I think this is incredible. But that, based on the file names, some of the information is likely sensitive. Well, someone need, well, who's actually looking at this? I mean, it's all well and good to say, well, there's all these files in a Dropbox folder on various computers. Why was no one actually looking at this material? And, of course, there was allegations of accounting practices were used in uh, saying that there was manipulating the cost of inventory items because if it's below a $500 threshold, then, you know, it doesn't need to be marked accordingly. And, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on. And, obviously, the investigation into Awan and the others included interviews with 40 witnesses and forensic analysis on equipment. Now, of course, we know less than a month before this, um, this what you might term plea agreement, Trump tweeted that the scandal is a key to much of the corruption we see today, and they'll want to make a plea deal to hide what is on their server. Um, and of course, the mainstream media is going to have a field day destroying, the, you know, saying it's all conspiracy theories regarding this. There's, there's no reality to it. And they'll obviously argue that Trump doesn't know what he's talking about in the process. But 
there's a reality to this and 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 this is how it's going to play out going forward you're going to see people making plea deals i have no doubt in totally non-related cases there's going to be certain people who will make plea deals so they can take a whole house of cards down in the browser and get immunity that this is an inevitability that these things are going to happen but my concern is that people believe that that somehow that you just you know sweep the carpet and everything gets resolved it's all going to happen very fast this process realistically could take years i mean it's not going to take weeks or months it could take years to to adjudicate people because we know the level of of corruption criminality in in and in all walks of of the us administration and it's the same all over the world but obviously at the moment we're talking about the US administration and how long is it going to take to process all that and here's the basic problem until you root out the core problems of what is corrupting the US administration how are you ever going to resolve anything because what happens if you think you have slam dunk cases against certain people and you have a judiciary that's still corrupt and will not will ensure that things are frustrated and the due process doesn't take place there is always that risk and and therefore all this impatience about well yeah i don't doubt i do believe there is sealed indictments i don't i'm not of the view that there's 35,000 or 20,000 and they're all relevant to what we're discussing no doubt there are but they're never going to get opened until you have a judiciary that you can trust to adjudicate people appropriately and find them guilty where where that is applicable and there is probably people who we think are going to be found guilty of things that won't be. And there'll be people you've never heard of who will be found guilty and adjudicated for crimes that we never knew existed. And that's part of the problem as well. And how do you unravel a billion pieces of string? You can't just get the first piece of string and pull it and hope the whole thing falls apart. It's it's a minefield of, um, of problems to, to resolve. And I think this case proves that eloquently. Now, the question is, is that the is that'll probably be the end of the matter but as trump says it's a key to much of the corruption we see today from his perspective so what happens now and and also in regards to to the plea deal how did this ever come about and what it, what is the details behind why that's why that's come to pass paul we have a lot of major moves going on in Europe, and I'm not talking about the World Cup <laughs> and British soccer fans. <laughs> but there's a lot of things going on as the entire geopolitical landscape is shifting towards sanity. This morning, we've heard that a whole mess of migrant ships were turned away by the Italian Navy, and they wound up in, uh, in Spain, of all places. Uh, there's changes. Can you comment on that, sir? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, we, we're seeing, a, I mean, we, we have to go back to the whole Merkel business with regards to the migration policy, because obviously Merkel's original policy was, you know, we're, we're it's open doors, we're going to welcome hundreds of thousands of migrants into Germany, and that's the policy. And she's now done this spectacular sort of 180 U-turn, and she's come under this incredible pressure in Germany from from all spheres of the political as well, not just the AFD, but also the CSU and even the SPD and even the SDU. 
And, you know, and that's basically our governing coalition is the CSU and the CDU. Now, obviously, the move to appease people within our own coalition has exposed what, what we said quite a few weeks ago was this ever-grown political weakness. I mean, the question is, she's going to limp on and on for, for the time being as chancellor, but we're now seeing the end days and uh, and without any shadow of a doubt, her days as, as, as chancellor are numbered. And everyone was very frustrated when she was re-elected. And I said at the time, she'll fall on her own sword and in the end, she'll just have to resign and leave. And, and it's happening perhaps a lot sooner than we anticipated, only on the basis that her coalition was so weak and you, unless you have a strong coalition government, you, you're going to have to bend the, uh, with the wind. And she's had to do this over migration. But in a broader sense, it's this whole nationalistic feeling and anti-migration sentiment that's challenged this whole kind of EU multilateral approach. And, and it's taking root and it's gathering momentum. Also in, for example, like obviously mainstream German politics, we know it's the case in Austria and Hungary and the Czech Republic and obviously Italy and the list goes on and on and obviously Merkel's had to agree to this latest policy because Seehofer threatened to bring down her coalition. So he's essentially demanded that German block migrants at the border if they've got no papers or they're registered in another European country then they've got to go. So this is challenging this whole free movement across European borders that Merkel's uh, been been suggesting was and and is and is enforced uh, rigorously, so that that is a huge sort of shift in um, in terms of that aspect. And of course, geopolitically, we've always said that eventually Germany will rotate east and move towards Russia, and the private discussions are becoming more overtly sort of. Uh, transparent and there's more and more in indications that the European Union are, are keen in in trying to develop uh, relations with Russia. I mean we also saw how the US completely caved in over Nord Stream 2 and went no actually we're not going to put any sanctions on Europe because they realize it's hugely detrimental and it will achieve absolutely nothing. And, and obviously in the process, we're seeing this huge geopolitical shift through Austria. And it all comes back to what I said originally was the Holland, um, Austria, Germany and Finland were the four nations that have spent a number of years already negotiating their way out of the current European debacle and forming this new European Union, which will be exactly how it always should have been. And that's why you've seen places, even uh, relations between Holland and Russia's improved, and also with the Chinese. I think that the biggest problem that most people don't understand is that, in, in essence, it comes back to the fact that the European Union as it exists now had to fall on its own sword. It, Russia and China can't force be seen to be forcing the point. But in a way, it's not about 4D chess, but what Trump's done by turning his back and isolating the US and, and stirring up a whole multitude of problems in Europe, it's actually forcing the Europeans to, to look to integration in the Eurasian, obviously, economic triangle, because they have no choice now. And it's also beginning to, that Trump's forced the hand of, of Germany to start to look at things differently. And, and we know once Merkel's gone, then the path of, of least resistance will be far easier to implement because she's a major roadblock in terms of the developments in Europe.
and and we're starting to see clear evidence that there's going to be far more trade discussions between China and the EU. I know there's been a lot of play where somehow there's this idea that that China's trying to um, divorce um, Europe from from the US, and it's some kind of part of this trade war that's going on with the with the US. It absolutely isn't. And unfortunately, we st- we're still seeing evidence that now the US is going to implement the first lot of tariffs, so the Chinese will retaliate, and China won't start things, but they're going to end it, and it will end very, very ugly, as we we said before. But that's a separate issue. But yes, the we're starting to see the the fledgling birth of a new Europe, and it is going to take time. But it's like, what do we see recently? The the Swiss have met up with the the Iranians and they're now discussing bilateral trade and I think it's worth mentioning about Iran because there's all this idea of yeah I was just about to know, ask you Paul the uh, the situation in Iran again you got uh, riots and protests um, go ahead however you want to leave yeah Iran it's not a lot of this is Western well it's completely Western orchestrated they tried it in January and it failed and they're trying it again and it will fail again and and here's the bottom line. The only nations on the planet now that are against the JCPOA and against Iran is the US, Israel, Saudi, and the UAE. Now, can someone so seriously Paul, tell me? You're telling me, Paul, you're telling me that this mass riot has nothing to do with brown water coming out of faucets in a remote town somewhere south of Tehran. No, absolutely. That's not true. <laughs> No. <laughs> That's what the press is reporting. <laughs> I mean, look, the, the, and and here's the, here's the point. What did we see? Um, the the chief commander of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps came out and said, you know, was very supportive of Rouhani in the media. And the point is, the cabal wants Rouhani gone. They don't want the the mullahs gone and the IRG gone. They want Rouhani gone because he's a moderate. And he is going to integrate Persia into the Eurasian Triangle, which is obviously already happening. They don't want that. They want Iran to be this bogeyman nation that's developing nuclear weapons because it gives them the excuse to maintain a presence in in the Middle East. It's rather like the whole bogeyman scenario with with, uh, North Korea. Now that no longer applies, even though there's there's, uh, factions within the sky trying to claim that they're actually carrying on making fissile material and it's all a you know a gigantic con job by Kim Jong-un and which isn't a reality either. That's the problem. Rouhani is a moderate who is who is will gradually make reforms that are needed. And we've said this before and we've said it many times. Yeah, Iran needs reform. It doesn't need regime change. And when Netanyahu's one of the people shouting out for regime change effectively, and now we're having an admission. Um, the, of the U.S. wanting regime change, or certain elements within the neocon factions wanting regime change, am I seriously supposed to t- to regard that as a as a positive for Iran when Netanyahu wants it? Was Netanyahu suddenly become someone we should look up to, and as as a as a person who wants to see the world liberated from the cabal or deep state? I'm sorry, absolutely not. Same with Saudi. Do we do we really seriously regard Saudi as a nation that um, that we see as extolling the virtues of democracy and freedom for people. Absolutely not. And these are the only nation. The rest of the world wants the JCPOA agreement kept in place. Russia and China have been very forcibly making that point in the in the recent weeks on a regular uh, 
uh, uh, basis. Why are they doing that? And why do we keep seeing Iran and uh, signing deals and agreements with the Russians and the Chinese? Would they really be signing these agreements if they if they thought that the Iranian government or regime, whatever people want to call it, shouldn't be in office or in power? They wouldn't do that. I mean, and the list is endless. I mean, what we every day of, of every week, there's deals and agreements being signed between the Chinese and the Russians. I mean, look at the recent, just as a very small example, when the Russians did their bombing raids in southern Syria, they used Iranian airspace. They didn't go over Turkish airspace. They went through Iranian airspace and that way back into Russia. That's, I mean, do they, they don't see there's a problem in, in that regard. Why is Iran being militarily and economically backed by Russia and China? Unless I'm supposed to suddenly believe Russia and China are cabal nations and they're all deceiving us and they're actually not part of, of the, the whole sort of paradigm shift, which we know they most certainly are. So there's all these contradictions, and that's why I'm sticking to what I'm saying, because I know it's correct. And this isn't about disagreeing with anyone or groups of people or anyone else. I'm just giving stone-cold facts. What is going on in Iran is not what, what people are being led to believe. It's all to condition people into believing that regime change is something that's going to benefit the world. Regime change right now in Iran will push Iran's progress back years and, and endanger the Middle East far more than by having Rouhani in place. The only thing that's, that makes this highly unlikely is Rouhani has the support of, of the Ayatollah and has support of key people within uh, the, the, obviously the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, etc. So it's highly unlikely. Does that mean that Iran doesn't have problems? Of course it has problems. But do you know why it has economic problems? Because it was sanctioned by the West for 40 years. What? I mean, it's a bit like, as much as we can be critical to some extent or to a large extent with what's gone on in Venezuela, some of Venezuela's problems is because of economic sanctions the West put on to try and obviously remove Chavez and then now move Maduro. And I'm not, I'm not praising Maduro and what he's doing, but that is a huge problem, and it's the same with Iran. And, and this is the reality of what's going on. If someone can explain to me why Russia and China are, can continue to solidly back Iran in the context that I that, that there's some regime play going on. Russia and China will never ever allow regime change to happen in Iran. They will never permit it and this is why they're doing everything to backstop Iran in the process. It's why there's the conference tomorrow in Vienna to do with the JCPOA and uh, the Europeans are supposed to have a whole subset of uh, agreements to keep it in place. Iran wants it to stay in place. And, and hopefully it does, because if that falls apart, it's going to be very damaging for Europe in the process. And then what does Iran do? Iran can pretty much then say, well, actually, we'll just start um, manufacturing fissile material. We'll do what we like because there'll be no agreement in place. So am I supposed to believe that them being allowed just doing whatever they like with regards to uh, making fissile material is actually a beneficial for the Middle East and the world in, in a wider sense? Whatever went on with the Obama administration and whatever dodgy deals went on, whatever they were or weren't, is not the point. The point is, what are the benefits to having that agreement in place? Well, one of the big benefits is it started to lift sanctions on the Iranians, which actually improved the, 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 the livelihood of many Iranian people who'd suffered under sanctions. I mean, if you think about it, uh, 
this is the other thing. Why has Russia got its oil for guts deal in place with the Iranians? It's to allow it to put, so why are they putting all these things in place to, to try and ensure Iran doesn't collapse? Because it knows full well if Iran collapses, it's going to be highly damaging, not just for the Iranian people, but also for, for the Middle East at large. And that doesn't in any way, I'm not defending everything. Tehran does far from it. And there, there is reforms and reforms are ongoing and happening. And there's a lot of pressure inside the Iranian parliament to make economic reforms that Iran has to do. But since when has regime change ever, ever achieved anything? You want to look at the West's idea of regime change, just look what happened in Ukraine. Ukraine is not a basket case nation. It's got ridiculously high inflation. It's, it's more corrupt than it's ever been. The nation as a whole is, is caving in. It's falling apart. That's what happens when you put regime changes. So what, and that's the other point. If you do instigate regime change and you remove Rouhani, who's going to be put in place to govern the country? Who? This is why I keep, it's great hearing, well, this Paul, needs to happen, Paul, but what are the consequences easy. of that? Paul, we could easily replace Rouhani. We could find one of the descendants and relatives of the Shah, that the deposed Shah, and then stick one of the, his relatives in there, Paul. We could have the Shah of Iran all over again. That makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, we wrecked <laughs> Libya. I mean, you know, why not make Iran into a failed state as well? Well, yeah, exactly, and and, and that's why... You know, the Russians and the Chinese are talking to the Iranians on, on a weekly basis and sometimes more than that. You know, Lavrov's having regular conversations with the Iranian foreign ministry to discuss bilateral cooperation. There's a Caspian summit coming up. Also aspects of the Syrian settlement process. And I have to say, and this may shock people, but the Iranians and Hezbollah's behavior in southern Syria has been exemplary in terms of doing exactly what they were told to do when they were told to do it and how they were told to do it. And they and they followed it to the letter of law under obviously the auspices of, of the Assad forces and the Russian forces. And all these protests that are sparking up uh, regarding and, and and you know Twitter feeds and all this idea of free or rare. People need to go and look at the detail. I'm not going to go into that now because I actually covered it off in huge detail in a recent podcast. People need to look at the, the, the background to this. And this meeting in Vienna on Friday, which is obviously going to handle the, the Iran nuclear issue, is extremely important. I mean, there's the Chinese are going to be there. Obviously, there's the European Union foreign policy chief. That's Mogherini. There's the foreign ministers of France, Germany, Russia, Britain, Iran, and as we said, China. And it's obviously the first meeting since the US left the JCPOA. But what's China said? China believes the JCPOA to be one of the most important achievements in recent years in the Middle East. It has played a key role in maintaining the non-proliferation regime, as well as peace and stability in the Middle East. Well, if you think that's a load of rubbish, fine. Let's have regime change. And it's quite clear that China is, is not going to buckle on their belief in that, in that respect. And they want all these foreign ministers to send a clear signal of and consolidate conference, confidence and support from the international community. Because from all these nations' perspective, this was agreed under UN, under UN Security Council resolution. Therefore, as far as they're concerned, it's abiding. Whether people feel someone's signature was on a piece of paper or someone didn't agree to this or, or whatever else is beside the point. The agreement needs to be kept in place. It was never 
a cabal agreement because how would the cabal benefit from from actually preventing the iranians doing the very things that they were encouraging the iranians to do for decades to and create instability in the middle east it's precisely why they signed the jcpoa that russia and china are now working with them to reintegrate them into the new silk road and to actually have the renaissance of persia which when it's fully completed it will be a major asset for the middle east and the entire world but it's not and once again it's not a blink and it's all complete it's rather like russia russia's spent decades as has china resolving internal problems with corruption which is why china for example has sacked millions of of corrupt officials the list goes on i mean they've already had their purge and and it's still ongoing and yes iran has a whole huge amount of problems it needs to resolve but if you really really seriously believe regime change is the answer then i'm sorry i have to fundamentally 100% disagree with you because history is is against you in that regard and also as i said why is every nation except uh, the us saudi iran and the uae supportive of iran and supportive of the jcpoa are all these nations wrong are they i mean are all the other nations uh, you know and i'm not i'm not including trump in in this regard with the us but i mean since when have we ever seen the uae saudi and um, israel as as promoting democracy in a non-cabal world i mean where's the history to support that and if and if you don't believe if you do believe it's a plot from the cabal to the jcpoa then you then have to start saying well okay we're never going to solve any problems in the world because russia and china are cabal nations which of course they're not but if you follow the logic through that's exactly what people are suggesting by this so yeah i'm very very adamant about this and i'm strongly making the point and if you want to disagree with me fine but we'll come back to what i originally said i've spent years being criticized and told this is rubbish this will never happen it's a load of bullshit and i've always proved invariably to be correct and once again from my perspective that will be the case over the jcpoa and this isn't about saying i know things better or i'm better than anyone else but i'm getting to the point where i am getting quite fed up of people constantly criticizing me for making statements with regards to matters i don't have an axe to grind i'm just telling you the reality of how things are unfolding that's what i do i i don't i don't have any reason to support people or not support them. it's like trump i'll support him when he's correct but when he makes howling great mistakes i'm going to criticize it that doesn't mean i i i support anybody else or i'm not you know, i've had people saying to me well you're so critical at times of trump you must be you must be a democrat or you must be supporting the cabal no we we judge people on the basis of what they do and when they do things well we support them and i think trump has a horrendous job to do things correctly but equally i don't want you know we get people saying oh well Trump's obviously cabal. No, he's not. Because if he was, why have they spent the last 18 months trying to get him out of office and still want to get him out of office? Because he isn't cabal, but it doesn't mean he won't make mistakes because he's not a politician. And it makes his job incredibly difficult. But you know, I will do my best to tell people what is going on and I do things from a point of complete neutrality. I don't I'm not I'm just interested in getting the truth and under an understanding of what is unfolding in the world but it, it is frustrating because it's it's also becoming very damaging in our capability to get people to understand what's going on because 
because of being constantly criticised and about things of which I'm sorry there's a lot of erroneous comments made about it and Iran is a classic example of that. No, I absolutely agree with you. You know, people who, um, people need to have a critical mind. You know, one of the things that I love about what guys like you, myself, Jim Willie, what we do is you got to have a critical mind, folks. When, when we've done this so many times, all three of us have done this the same, you know, we've done this so many times where if the administration's correct, we'll praise it. But it makes a bumbling, stumbling error that sets us back a few months, maybe a few years. That's a problem. If there's inconsistencies, we're going to call it out. We're not going to look at the inconsistencies and the mistakes and say, hey, you know what? This is 5D chess. It's stupid. It's stupid to think that. And this is what people need to get, Paul. Yeah, well, yeah, and, and, and I appreciate it's difficult because people, you know, they're getting bombarded from all angles by by hundreds of different sources of information. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite adamant about this. Everyone listen to everything. I'm not telling everyone just to listen to what we're talking about. You know, I'm talking about Rogue Money does or Jim does for that matter. Absolutely not. But, we, but you know, I, I think we have to start to ask questions. I mean, for example, like what's happened recently with the Senate and Russia? I mean, you know, the, the findings apparently by the intelligence community that Russia meddled in the presidential election were apparently accurate and on point according to an unclassified report. And the statement, I think it came from the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence. This came out a couple of days ago. Now, they're saying the committee findings come after this review of sources and analytical work underpinning a 2017 intelligence community assessment. And the interesting thing is that the FBI and the CIA have had this fundamental disagreement with the NSA over whether Russia sought to bolster Trump's presidential campaign. And the question is, they're making all these statements via the Senate. At what point does what Mueller doing factor into any of this? I mean, Mueller's had this ongoing investigation of which we've had no conclusions. But in the meantime, the Senate's already made this decision that you know, intelligence was accurate and on point according to this report. This is ridiculous. It complete. I mean, it, it totally undermines the point of anything that Mueller's doing. And I'm not suggesting I agree with what Mueller's doing. But what's the point in having a Mueller investigation when you've got the Senate deciding to just broadside come out and make these comments with regards to you know, what's going on? I mean, the FBI and the CIA saying we've got this high confidence that you know, Putin wanted to help Trump's election chances by effectively denigrating Clinton. And the NSA is going, well, actually, we, we only have moderate confidence, which actually probably means they're not, they have very little confidence. So you've got these two organizations within within the U.S. administration, effectively, who are poles apart in terms of the, their understanding of, of what's going on. And, of course, then you're getting people going, well, it's very reasonable and transparent and it's all part of the process of debate that, you know, you're going to get agency heads on both sides having different opinions on this. Well, yeah, that is entirely possible. But I think to have someone saying high confidence and someone saying moderate confidence that's in, in from my perspective and i could be completely wrong they are poles apart and this once again shows if you think everything's going to get resolved in five minutes well if you've got the nsa and the fbi and the cia poles apart in terms of their understanding 
that we know is fundamentally politically driven. It's got absolutely nothing to do with the reality because facts are facts. You can't have that sort of difference of opinion on something as fundamental as this. And, you know, and, and this is the other thing. They're saying, you know, this committee, Senate committee said they spent 16 months looking at all this. It took them 16 months to see there was no reason to dispute conclusion. I, I, I find it astonishing that it's taken that, that it took them 16 months to go. I mean, if there was nothing out of the ordinary, it should have been obvious within a matter of weeks or months. And, and rather like the Mueller report, uh, Mueller, sorry, investigation proof, they've spent, what, a year and a a year, oh, well over a year, and they've never got anywhere because there isn't anything to, to, to prove. And what are they going to just keep that investigation going, you know, for, when Trump's no longer president and et cetera? I mean, I'm being, you know, ridiculous, but for a, for good reason. But this shows there's inherently huge problems still inside the US administration. And yet I'm supposed to believe in the next breath, oh, everything's fine, you know, don't you know, don't don't have any concerns, it's all going to resolve itself. Well, eventually it will, but you know, in the process people are going to get deeply frustrated because it's not going to pan out how how people imagine it or are being led to believe it's going to pan out. And that's why we make a big point about it. Yet in the end when we get to the destination, it'll um, probably it will all amount to the same thing, but it's the it's the process of how frustrating it's going to be, and and you know, whatever people's view is, and whoever you know various people are in terms of their understanding of of intelligence, and if the problem is there might be a huge amount of factual information that people, and I'm going to say yeah, things like Q might be coming out with a lot of great factual information that's correct. But when things don't pan out the way people think it is, then they're going to start turning off going, well, I'm not I don't I'm no longer going to be prepared to accept this. And he, and because because their expectations are being managed, that is a big problem. I don't have any problem with the idea of liberating the US and having the re restoration of the Republic. That's what every sane person in the world and not just the US wants to see. But it's how you manage it. And all we're trying to do is manage people's expectations and say, it's not going to work out quite how you imagine it is. And this Senate matter is one thing, the one thing is the other thing. And and also, I, I was looking back through some notes that how many investigations were underway going back in the last year. And we've never heard anything of them. Now, that can be a huge positive or it could be a negative. I'm tending to believe it's more likely to be a positive that investigations were opened and subsequently when you know it's gone very quiet and and that is a good thing because we'd rather see an, uh, suddenly that, you know, an investigation's ongoing in, and we aren't seeing the leaks that we see with regards to the Mueller investigation where it's just endless leak after leak in the process. But this whole idea regarding um, the Russians is never going to end. And and I'm, I'm sort of going slightly left field here, but look what's happened in the UK. I mean, now we've got the police reporting two people in a critical condition and this is in the English city Amesbury, which is not that far from Salisbury and Port and Dam. This is exactly four months after the whole Scripple case. You know, they, were, they had suspected exposure to what was stated originally as an unknown substance. They're now saying it's Novichok. And this whole thing is now rearing its head again. And and what's what's the per what what is this actually going to achieve? Are we supposed to, is this trying to just um, make people in the UK believe that Russia's the big bag ogre? Because let's face it, all these English football fans have been going to Russia, going, 
wow, this country's great. It's, you know, people are nice. Everyone's very friendly. You know, I, I, I just didn't believe I was in Russia, right? Because I, and they, you know, there was people being interviewed saying on national TV in Russia, going, "It's fake news. Don't believe what you're told about Russia." And now this has happened. And of course, this all this is going to do is rake up the whole anti-Russian sentiment because, in some way, even though it's impossible to believe you can piece the two things together, there's going to be some correlation between. Well, it's Novichok, and I mean, they're two British people, so quite there's no way the Russians are going to attempt to poison, but uh, British citizens. But they're now saying, "Oh, well, it was a leftover from from what happened four months ago." I mean, so we're now supposed to believe that Novichok can sort of reside somewhere in 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 wiltshire and and stay active for four months and someone is contracting picks it up well why haven't we seen hundreds of people in in that region picking and of, of the world picking up or having symptoms of of novichok poisoning it's absolutely unbelievable and yeah this is just now going to run and run and run so and the question is how does the government respond to it how does the anti-terrorism police respond to it and we're just going to go through the same farcical uh, nonsense we went through with the Scripple case. And it proves once again, there are changes happening. But fundamentally, this should be one of those situations where, you know, I mean, there's rumors. I can't prove it. There's a D notice slapped on the whole Scripple thing. I don't know whether that's true or not, because there's no evidence to support it. But certainly the media has largely gone quiet about it. But how are they going to now reconcile this incident that's happened in, you know, more or less the same place as obviously what happened in Salisbury. Um, there's just there's just no way you can get around the fact that people need to start asking questions. But unfortunately, they're not going to ask questions. And but I do think increasingly more and more people and particularly all these football fans who've gone to Russia, they're all going to come home at some point, talk to their families, talk to their friends. And people are going to start to realize the reality of what Russia is and not. The, the farcical propaganda that's the, that exists in the media that suggests Russia's this kind of pariah state and it's it's a dictatorship and it's basically lawless, which a lot of people actually in the UK believe is true. But uh, is this a huge coincidence that these people have now obviously seems to have contracted Novichok poisoning? <laughs> well, clearly not. Exactly. <laughs> Recently, Paul, I don't know if you've heard this news or not, switching gears real quick, but... Uh, yeah, no, it's fine. Yes. Huge news. Huge. They got... They just got subpoenaed for money laundering. <laughs> well, I mean, and... I mean, it's, it's kind of... Um, I mean, it's again, you have to start to ask the question, you know, why? I mean, not why of the U.S. authorities, you know, you know, they've been ordered by the U.S. authorities for anyone who's not aware because they've got to hand over documents relating to a money laundering probe. And this subpoena came from actually the DOJ of all people. And it's in relation to compliance with, I think it was the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and money laundering laws, and it's supposed to be to do with deals in Nigeria, Congo, and Venezuela. I think in the last sort of ten years or so, obviously Glencore's, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, has got um, the subpoena, and they're now reviewing it, and obviously um, 
it, obviously, I mean, everyone knows what a subpoena is. Obviously, the market reacted pretty sharply. Um, I think the share price fell as much as, well, it was over 10%. Although, I mean, the share price is well over, in UK pounds, is well over £3. At some one point, it was down to about um, a pound, and there was very serious concerns about its um, its credit default swaps, etc. Now, now, obviously, I think the company, um, you know, it, its recent results seem to be broadly in line with forecasts. But my question is, why why is suddenly everyone picking on Glencore? Because are we supposed to believe that this these kind of things don't go on with other companies? And obviously, these are allegations at this point, and we, you know, they've got to produce the evidence, and on the basis of that, we'll see what happens. But why aren't other companies being subpoenaed to give this to, to provide information in this regard? And that's what I always come back to. And and then of course, there's one slight sort of interesting question is because there's the whole tie-up um, in in financial in terms of the being a creditor to Deutsche Bank. Now, for me, I think there's a witch hunt going on with Deutsche Bank. Because I don't believe Deutsche Bank is is any more of a serial offender of anything than um, than than any other bank, but there seems to be this universal desire to pick on on uh, Deutsche Bank uh, than than any other of the major banks. But I mean, but you know, if Deutsche Bank is, it most certainly was the largest creditor of Glencore. It, I mean, and. I mean, I think it still log, arguably is. Is there any correlation between the fact that the DOJ is picking on Glencore and and uh, and the connection to to Deutsche Bank? I don't know. I'm just speculating. But I, I yeah, I mean, it is pretty pretty. You know, to most people, it'd be pretty startling news. And I mean, it remains to be seen whether Glencore's is culpable for any of this. But the question is, my question is, was the Department of Justice not investigating or are they investigating other banks i mean obviously glencore's not a bank because glencore's obviously a commodities trader and a commodities company but is there any other indication that the other companies or financial institutions or commodities traders or commodity companies being investigated it's possible but i mean i don't know for me there's some i, I the, the relationship with deutsche bank make does make me wonder if this is just part of of this for me is just this insatiable desire to take to to uh, take down Deutsche Bank and the problem is is if they take if Deutsche Bank collapses then the contagion effect isn't just going to spread through the German banking system it will spread through Europe and ultimately it will spread through through the US and and the rest of the world because the banks are all lassoed together so there's no benefit to do this but certainly there seems to be uh, this battle between the U.S. regulators and the German regulators, most certainly in terms of the German regulators, have done an awful lot to to clean up problems in inside Deutsche Bank, and they've reduced their um, uh, derivatives portfolio massively. I think it's probably around thirty-five trillion. I mean, think about what it was at one point. That still sounds astonishing, but. It's a hell of a lot less than it was, and they're constantly reducing it and trying to work to resolve the problem. But I, but I do think that there are elements within the U.S. administration are doing everything they can with regards to Deutsche Bank, and and maybe it's just a is is totally non-related. But 
you know, Deutsche Bank, I think, still is the largest creditor of Glencore. Is there some correlation? I don't know, but maybe in time that will become more and more apparent. And it remains to be seen how, obviously, Glencore responds to this subpoena. Yeah, it really does. Uh, the operations that are in question is, of course, the uh, uh, the Congo, uh, Venezuela, and I think even Guatemala. Uh, very, very nefarious, man. Very nefarious. So it's, it, it's good. We'll see how this thing plays out. And it's amazing to me, Glencore gets subpoenaed, but Imran Awan doesn't. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, I mean, you have to. You, I mean, we have to be sort of. It, I mean, let's look at this logically. Either something just completely doesn't stack up or, yeah. you know, but, okay, if it wasn't anything to do with him and he is completely exonerated from, from these additional charges, fine. But someone accesses the server over 5,500 times. Who's doing it and why? And where's the investigation to ascertain who's responsible? That That is the whole point with this. I mean, often it's not who's been who's been accused that's the issue. It's the the extent of the investigation. And, and the other thing is there needs to be some process to speed up investigation. The idea that something can take a year, two years to investigate is, is ridiculous. If there's an, an, a serious issue of, for example, national security or some aspect of, you know, to do with presidential elections or whatever it might be, then there needs to be resources put into these things to deal with these things quickly and efficiently rather than having this idea that Oh, so I mean, and that's the other thing. There needs to be time scales put on things. It's like the Mueller investigation. There has to come a point when someone's going to stand there and go, well, look, how much longer do you really seriously imagine you're going to need to keep an, an investigation going? I mean, if you haven't found something there, then you're never going to find it. I mean, and, and also oh, the thing that also concerns me is to what extent is the scope of the Mueller investigation being determined? Or is it just a question of, well, we, we found something else that we think relates to the Trump administration or to Trump. So we're going to include that in the, in, in the investigation. These yeah. are fundamental problems. And we're back to this point. If you don't address the fundamental problem, you're never going to solve anything. We, we could be sat here, and I'm not saying it's the case, but we could be sat here in a year's time going, do you think we're ever going to get to the bottom of these of, and resolving what Trump calls draining the swamp and what I call, you know, you know, basically decapitating the, the cabal, deep state, whatever you want to call it. Until you address these fundamental problems, it's never going to get resolved. And I think all you're going to see is people getting more and more frustrated. And that's why, but I'm saying this because don't get frustrated. Things will happen eventually. I don't have any doubt about it. But I think there's two fundamental points. It's never going to happen as quick as we think. And it's not going to happen the way we think. It's rather like, the whole financial reset and how people imagine it's going to be. It's not going to work out how we imagine it's going to be. It's not, it's just not going to happen that way because I think there's a lot of expectation as to how things are going to pan out and, and how it, how things are going to work and it, and it won't work out that way. It's like, if you look at how things have panned out and take anything in historical context in recent years and, with relation to the Petra Yuan, there's all this expectation, they'll launch the Petra Yuan and it'll kill the Petra Dollar Stone debt. And we said, no, it's a slow burner and it is a slow burner, but there are some huge developments going on in, in the oil sector, which 
we, we're not going to have time to discuss and I'll probably put it in a podcast anyway yeah. to, for our subscribers that explains a whole bunch of things that are going on, which are highly encouraging and highly important developments. But it's not panning out the way people believe. And it's it's rather like the gold and silver price. People have got so frustrated. They've, they're giving up going. There's no point in being invested in gold and silver because look at what's happening to the price. Well, the fact the price is getting smashed is, in, is perfectly indicating why investing in it for the future is so important because if it was irrelevant, they wouldn't be smashing it. Right. They're, they're smashing it be, because it is irrelevant and it has huge relevance going forward and it will do. But that's part of the process is that there's people being told, oh, there's going to be a, a rally. The price has hit the bottom. It's now going to rally. And then it doesn't happen and they get frustrated and, and give up and, and sell gold and silver or whatever. And I'm not, you can do what you like. It's people's individual choice. But the problem is there is never going to be a rally in, in it at all until the paper market collapses. And when the paper market collapses and the reset in the gold and silver price happens, which it will, that is when you will then people will go, oh, OK, now I know why it makes sense to be invested in gold and silver. But until that point, it's never going to happen. You're not going to suddenly see Gold and silver be oh it's now it's now after a few weeks oh it's now fourteen hundred it's now eighteen hundred oh now it's not going to work like that because the paper market has to be controlled to preserve confidence in the paper dollar that's all it's ever been and always will be and and I'm really quite surprised when I'm I know because I've been look following some of the people in in the Twitter sphere and looking at their comments and there's some very very highly intelligent people who who have you know have very good understanding of things but even some of them are very confused that well there must be the chinese have got to be dumping gold because that's why the gold price is falling they don't realize it's got nothing to do with physical metal purchases or acquisitions it's all to do with the paper market and the paper market right. is still controlled by the by the the paper cartel and it will be until it no longer is and when it no longer is then then that's when you'll see gold and silver achieve price discovery and until that it won't happen so don't get frustrated but again it's why we do what we do because we're trying to manage people's expectations about the reality of things so they don't get frustrated but you know i don't have an axe to grind i don't i don't support anything or anyone i'm just here to say this is what's happening this is what's going on i'm not pro anybody or anything but i'm pro the freedom of humanity and the end of the madness that's run the world, that's all I care about. And in the meantime, all I'll do is explain what's going on in the context of everything we can possibly understand and cover in a week. And we and what we cover on Rogue Money is a fraction of the, what we do elsewhere. And that's all we're all trying to do is just get, in, get a better understanding of what's unfolding, how it's unfolding, and, and not frustrating people by making unrealistic expectations. And that's why I never give dates. Oh, there's, there's quite a lot of things where I, on some level, I have a, a, a an understanding of some dates may happen. But I'm not going to talk about it because if it doesn't happen, I'm going to get slaughtered, and rightly so. And also because if I put dates on things, then I'm going to manage people's expectations incorrectly. And that's and for me, that's a dereliction of, of duty in terms of what we're trying to do. And I may have labored this point somewhat, but I think it's very important I'm not anti-anything or pro-anything particularly, apart from the obvious that I've just stated. All I'm trying to do is point out 
where there's where there's flaws in in an understanding but it doesn't mean i per se am 100 percent critical of anything or 100 percent positive i mean there are aspects that that undoubtedly you know that china and russia could do better but by and large I think it's very hard to be critical of those two nations, given everything they're trying to do. But I, I am going to be, I'm, I mean, I'm far more critical in although we don't really focus on the UK because really the UK is largely a bit irrelevant at the moment in, in the broad context. But, you, you know, I would be far more critical about a lot of things the UK has done. But in terms of the US, yeah, I think there's things Trump is doing extremely well. But there's some things Trump is doing that are extremely badly. And... We're not going to sit there and just ignore them and pretend they're not happening because I'm not, once again, that's because I'm just completely neutral on things. I mean, I, I hope Trump succeeds and I hope more than anything for all the friends and all the colleagues and the people I've known over the years in the US and all the great people I know that I want the US to succeed as, as a great nation amongst equals because the world needs it and the US people deserve it because of, of how badly they've been manipulated by a by a cabal deep state for decades and beyond that has to end but you know it's not going to be simple i mean if you kill the dollar there's no easy answer to to resolving the problem for, for the us and that's why trump needs to be you know i think when he goes to the the, the helsinki meeting with on the 16th with putin that could be highly interesting because one thing trump requested which i think is he wanted a one-to-one -one meeting with Putin with absolutely nobody else present. Actually, I think of all the little snippets of headlines that you see, that is the most telling because that says, I just want a straight one-to-one -one with you so we can discuss certain things. Now, of course, the mainstream media and, and, and everyone starts foaming at the mouth about it. But I think that yeah, that's fine. And from the Russians' perspective, they have no problem. And I hope there's some resolution. But how they're handling china economically is a very bad move and and it remains and i'm not seeing any evidence of of the us to climbing down from the idea that they can dictate economically to a nation such as china it's just foolish and ultimately very damaging hopefully it can get resolved before it becomes a major problem but i'm seeing more and more encouraging signs with regards to us foreign policy it, it remains to be seen as the certain aspects, which I think the the fallout from talking to Putin might resolve some of them. We may see a change in in emphasis in how they're handled. But yeah, Trump's done some great things, but but he's also made some very bad mistakes. And I'm not going to sit there and ignore them because if I ignore them, and then things come to pass, people are going to say to me, "Well, you didn't spot that. You weren't aware of this." I mean, as much as we get criticised for pointing out things that people don't like to hear. But if I don't cover them off, then, it, then I'm equally guilty. And people say, well, you never discussed it. And what I'm going to say, well, I didn't want to upset people. I mean, that, that's just a, a ludicrous viewpoint to take. So I'm not here to upset people. I know I might say things that upset people at times, but I'm saying it to you because I genuinely would believe it to be the case. And, and it's not just a belief. It's backed up by analysis, understanding. I spend a lot of time assessing everything we discuss to make sure I understand precisely what's going on. I talk to people. I, I bounce ideas off them I, and, and to get a better understanding. And when I feel there's a clear position of what's going on, I'll discuss it. And that's why more often than not, we get things correct because there's a huge amount of work put in in the process. And I know some people go, well, 
why do you charge for doing this? Well, I have to pay bills. It's as simple as that. This is a this is a full time job, and I could go and work in in the real world and earn a hell of a lot more money. So I'm not doing it for the money. And I need to earn money to pay bills. That's the difference. It's not, and and you can't do this for nothing. I mean, what am I supposed to live on fresh air? You can't do that. So you know, no one else would go out and work for nothing. But so you know, that's why we do what we do. But we make it very affordable. So everybody can, I feel, not everybody, but a lot of people can afford it at that price. And there's people I know charging $15, $30 a month. Well, we don't do that because we try to make it affordable and we put a lot of effort in to try and help people. And, and we have a lot of great support and all the subscribers and we really appreciate their support. And that's why we're doing it. But it's not, I'm not doing it to make money because I could earn a lot more doing working in the real world, as it were. Even though I, you know, I have loathe to do it, but I could go back and do that, and I would be significantly financially better off doing it. But I'm doing this because I believe in the that it helps in some small way to gaining an understanding of what's going on and helps the process of 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 an understanding as to where we're going and why it's important that we understand the reality of things. Very well said. London Paul, thank you so much, sir, for being on with us and sharing your viewpoints with us. Uh, again, folks, the website is theseriousreport.com. Go there, subscribe, make it happen for yourself, get yourself the education that you deserve on a global scale. And with that being said, we're over now. Take it away, CJ.